football show on Off The Ball with Sky. Watch every live Premier League game this season on Sky Sports, BT Sport and Premier Sports. I'm prepared to end it and I can't well, do it then. Again. Do it then. What about your start to the game? I was, it wasn't bad, was it? <laughs> Why should be an honest answer be a mistake? How can a modern day manager not have a mobile phone? Why should he? Oh. Dan McDonald, fresh home from Glasgow. You're very welcome. Of the Irish Independent, of course. I'm home anyway, not Chast- necessarily fresh. Chastising me. Good trip? Um, it's fine. I, I think I got in trouble on Saturday for talking about the sort of drinking habits of the people of Glasgow. I mean, I, I think I cast aspersions on the character of Glasgow as a city. I like Glasgow. It's a n- nice place. I, I actually was, I was, had a, I was having a debate with a couple of colleagues uh, at the weekend about which city would you prefer, Glasgow or Cardiff? And I was at uh, Glasgow. All the time, I think I'm, I'm done with with football trips to Cardiff. I know people from the rugby world go there all the time, or you know, at least every second year. Although it feels like with Irish football in recent years, we've been going more regularly than than every every second year to Cardiff. Or certainly were, um, for a period of time. But yeah, I I actually really enjoyed the match night experience itself. Um, I hadn't I had been to Hampden Park before for a Scottish Cup final um number of years back. And it was okay, but it was that Saturday afternoon cup final vibe. I think Celtic won a little bit of a non-event of a game. So the atmosphere really didn't leave an imprint. Whereas being in the stadium on Saturday, uh, just that sort of 10 minutes before kickoff, the old Freed from Desire goes around again, which is now, it's absolutely everywhere. Every football ground I go to now, um, doesn't matter if it's Scotland or Hungary or whatever they play it. But it was a real proper, you know that proper big match atmosphere that you only really get I don't know, once a year, twice, three times a year in international games. To be fair, probably the Ireland-Scotland game in the summer here probably had a bit of that too. Um, but under the lights and stuff, there was um, there was something about it. So, um, yeah, it was fine. Like sometimes, I don't know, I, I sometimes like, I, I enjoy these trips to like Eastern European cities and stuff like that. Too close to home. It's like, it's too much like home. What did you say about Glasgow's drinking habits? Uh, I think, I think, uh, Someone, I think John Duggan or someone made a reference to uh, boozed up fans and I just made a comment along the lines of I mean in Glasgow I think you'd see a lot of boozed up people on the street anyway what I made the point that a place and I'm repeating myself here but anywhere where there's karaoke bars open in the early evening I mean that's a lot that's a, a party town of sorts shocking thing I mean, the, I mean we're, this is very Dublin centric I mean, do you walk down the street in Dublin to like maybe five, six in the evening and have live karaoke blasting out? One or two places, maybe. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, it's maybe just to go out early, go home early culture in Glasgow, which does seem to be a thing, actually, with all those taxi queues. Uh, there was big, long taxi queues at midnight. So, but, you know, they like their, they like their social life Oof. in Scotland. What harm? I mean, listen, I mean, come on, like any, any reference to Irish people, uh, there's always a reference to a point to the black stuff. So, I mean, why don't we just... Well, you just call the people of Glasgow drunken mob. Well, I just think maybe we should spread some of that shade around. <laughs> um, like it happens, it happens to Ireland, so... I, I totally agree. The atmosphere came through on the television. It looked mm. amazing. I was very jealous not to be there. And I think whatever about the first iteration under the cloud of COVID. I think this uh, Nations League campaign has really brought it home to everybody. It's a bloody good idea. I mean, we can occasionally say the authorities have put together a very good idea. I can't believe I'm going to have to put it. You've, you've forgotten the first iteration of the Nations League, which was, of course, the Martin O'Neill 
era Nations League. Oh, we're into our third. <laughs> we're into our third. It took a while to get going. This was, yeah, there was, there was the COVID ones. The first ones was, was when we seemed to just play Denmark a lot. Yeah. And Wales. There was a lot of nil-all draws and then that 4-1 in Wales. But would you agree it's now very much finding its groove? Yeah, I think so. I, like, I, think, I think it's found its groove for Ireland because there was misery. I think from the start of the Nations League, there was other countries having great moments in the Nations League. It just wasn't Ireland because we barely scored in the competition um, for the first, whatever, 12 or 13 games. Um, but you can see it the other night um, in that stadium. Um, there was points on the line. So can you imagine, if, I don't know, if there'd been some friendly game and trying to get a result for a, a previous friendly between Scotland and Ireland? Like, there is meaning. And I think actually Scotland's a good example because, I mean, they ended their major tournament drought via the Nations League route mm-hmm. for Euro 2020. Like, for, they don't need, like, we, we laugh about it here, like permutations and routes and all this stuff. But Scotland, they have a tangible example of the importance of the Nations League. That's how they got to the Euros. Yeah. Um, and again, that they're now in a situation where they, if they draw against Ukraine tomorrow, you know, they start into a campaign knowing that they're going to be, uh, they're going to be uh, in a playoff no matter what. And even they were singing about England going down, England going down. So there was even a bit of like promotion relegation bants, you know. So that's people taking the Nations League um, seriously. I think, I think now we we understand here. That while it's a little bit annoying sometimes that to go into these permutations, talk. I'm not going to do it. Yeah. Like it is important, you know. These games matter, and I think it, there's no there's no doubt that it's not. It wasn't a manufactured atmosphere on Saturday. No. So often with Stephen Kenny, we have the big picture conversation, and we neglect specifics, and that's probably happened too much over the two years. Mm. So let's actually, by way of judging the job Kenny did and the players did on the evening hone in on some details and let's do that via Gary Breen's article in the Irish Independent today which is excellent I actually yeah. texted him just to say it was brilliant you know we, we don't have enough of this maybe around Kenny and Ireland at the moment I'm biased I think his columns are good you know yeah really good yeah so a couple of points he makes for instance this is more of a bigger picture point but then we'll get into specifics he says uh, he argues it's important to stop honing in too much on the fact that Kenny has picked seven players in that 11 who are age 23 or under. And he makes the point that this is not a team of the future, it's a team of the present. And this team is actually the best available right now, regardless of their age. So he's saying, in most cases, Kenny's just picking the best player who happens to be 23 or under. Few marginal calls in there. But anyway, we'll proceed on to the game. So Mm. uh, he liked, it's funny, I was watching the game with Paul McShane in uh, Virgin and... When the Scottish fullbacks had possession, it was generally Malumbi on the right-hand side and Knight on the left-hand side who sprinted out to close them down and McLean and Doherty stayed deep. And McShane was kind of thinking, I don't know if I love that. Generally, you know, the orthodoxy would be fullbacks push up and that midfield three stay tight. And his concern, I think what kicked off his concern early on is that and Knight went out to close Hickey. Patterson was injured, of course. Knight yeah. went out to close Hickey. I think he might have been nutmegged or the ball got through him anyway. I remember that, yeah. And so suddenly... That midfield three is now a bit stretched. Knight's out of position because he had to go and close the full back and Scotland flood that central area and they're in on the Ireland back five. But to be fair, that didn't happen too often and it seemed to work quite well. And uh, Gary Breen really liked this tactic. So he was saying he was happy to see McLean and, pa- and uh, Doherty deep, part of a, you know, a, a very um, well set back five. And he thought, this is great. And he also really liked that the passing for passing sake under Kenny has been replaced with purpose, his uh, phrase. 
So where his criticism comes at Kenny and game management is he talks about the difference in the second half where Scotland definitely got on top more. So what he says in the Irish Independent is Scotland's fullbacks much more positive driving into the space ahead of him in the second half. Because you remember the first half they stayed deep. Yeah. Uh, that made it harder for those two outside uh, central midfielders, so the Knight and Malumbi um, in this instance, to go and engage with the Scottish fullbacks because they were coming forward more. Uh, therefore, that job, as in to watch the Scottish fullbacks, was left to our wing backs. And the ripple effect is that a centre back slides across to make space in the box, and he says, all of this is highlighted perfectly in Scotland's equaliser, yeah. where it's Doherty versus fullback as opposed to uh, Malumbi maybe getting out to the fullback in a deeper position. So, you know, that's a thing that's going to happen in the game. And what he questions on Kenny's part, the substitutions. So he says uh, Christie and Ryan Fraser started to play wider off McGinn. And so McLean and Darty were drawn out of shape more than they were in the first 45 minutes. That's why uh, my criticism around the substitutes would be it took Stephen Kenny too long to inject fresh legs into the middle. What Ireland needed was that battery power in there to break out and engage those Scottish full backs so that the Irish back five stayed in their original shape. And he acknowledges these are fine margins, but in tight games, it's about how you react to situations on the pitch. Like, for instance, we never really, again, these two years and do we pass, do we not pass, progressive tactics, long ball tactics. We have never even had a debate. Is Stephen Kenny good within the 90 minutes? Are his substitutions yeah. good? Is he a good line manager? And uh, for Gary Breen, in the context of very tight margins, and they were tight margins, he's saying, well, like, the manager got that part wrong is a big word, but wrong. Yeah, and, and, and see, I think that that's... I think that's the type of, uh, I suppose, analysis that anyone can appreciate. I, I do think sometimes, like, like the Kenny referendum thing, has the debate is, is so basic sometimes. You know, it's almost like there's a preconceived notions of, oh, what about him? what about his background in in the League of Ireland? Or you know, does this idea oh, he was trying to play it? He wanted to play this like you know beautiful football, which I don't think was necessarily the case. I don't think there's been a you know, it, there's almost a sense of, well, yes, Kenny represents this and another manager represents this and it's all very broad stuff. And I think at times even, I think some of the criticisms of Kenny, uh, they, there's been valid criticisms there, but never the right ones, if you know what I mean. It's sort of like uh, based on generalities or sort of preconceived notions or rather than maybe what you're actually seeing in front of you. And I think, I think you know, any staff... Would probably reflect on a on a game, and this is more probably the stuff they would look at. You would think, and and uh, yeah, I think I think there's there's something in what he said there, and I think sort of Gary obviously has the eye, the football ex footballer's eyes to sort of, and he had he, he was commentating, he had a great vantage point on Saturday, so probably would have even got a real appreciation um, of it, and yeah, I, I think certainly you would you would you would speak to people who've who would have. I suppose know Stephen Kenny very well and would have followed his career closely. And I think I might have even spoken about it with you at some stage um, early on in his reign. That like he's always someone who's a probably liked quite a settled team, and and he's probably had to redraw that a bit in the international sphere because you can't have the same level of continuity, you know, because just for for sort of obvious reasons, games are two three months apart. But secondly. Yeah, he wouldn't be someone who'd be known for like making blanket substitutions or for or for being one who would make his substitutions too early. You know, it'd be very unusual to see him sort of whipping people at half time or or 
and, and I'm sure there's examples to disprove that, but in general terms, I don't think it would be unfair to say that, you know, he would pick a team, I think he picked the right team on Saturday, and and then he sticks with the team, and he's very, you know, happy with, with, with how that's working, but there's definitely a question to be raised, you know, around Saturday as to could they have made changes quicker? Because certainly, I've had this disagreement with people, but certainly sitting in the ground, I very much felt like Scotland were on top for the, very much the majority of the second half. I know Ireland had chances, and I know that they had good chances, and if Parrott scores, probably having a different discussion today in, in its tone. Um, but there was this constant sense of momentum. And to be honest, you talk to a lot of people after, like, what went wrong in the second half? And it wasn't like this player was dreadful or you know no one was particularly dreadful it was one of the bad moments for players which I'm sure you can discuss as well too but it was clear that something needed to be Doing corrected yes. and to me I, I thought the Obafemi Ogbeni uh, that's an again a very obvious thing to hone on why did you take off the player who was doing well and put him on like Ogbeni did fine I actually think that was the foremost attacker and I think you know Abafemi would have struggled for service in the last 20-25 minutes of the game if he'd stayed on mm. with the pattern of the game that as it was continuing. like He wouldn't have been able to necessarily influence that dramatically himself. I agree with you. The, again, I expected Parrot to come off just by dint of almost missing the chance and Abafemi was having some joy. But I think you're right when you say in terms of the pattern of that second half, which was Scotland getting to grips with it, it doesn't matter if it's Parrot, Abafemi or Benny who are on. They can't interrupt the pattern of the game. And Scotland just got control of it and like I dare say Steve Clark looked at that first half and you know experienced good football manager he looked at it and he, I know that he said well if they're going to send Knight and Malumbi out to you two fullbacks all game bomb on like let's make these lads work if they're going to invite you on bomb on and let's see what they do then and you know Gary Breen mentions their midfielders kind of almost drifting it a bit wider and begin to really flood those areas and let's give these guys a problem and and that's where I suppose you want your manager to respond with something to wrestle back control. And as you said, you know, we're not professional managers and it's hard to think of what will do it. Gary Breen's answer was more energy in midfield to at least engage their fullbacks better. Because from minute one, if you looked at Knight and Malumbi, you would have said, well, we along 90 minutes trekking out to the wings every time Scottish fullbacks get the ball. So maybe they were always going to tire. Yeah, and uh, I think, and, and what Gary would have pointed out is that the decision would have been to replace Knight or Malumbi. And it might have been a difficult one because they're young, they're, the players themselves like would f- probably feel full of energy. Um, I mean, Malumbi, I think, got man of the match on on RTE. Yeah. Um, but you know, th- like it's it's I suppose it's a case of you know sometimes you substitute players who are doing well. You know, it's it's a case of um, not needing uh, it to be someone who's sort of pre- you know perceived to be struggling. I'm not saying Stephen Kenny would react that way at all, but I'm just saying it would have been certainly one that probably would have raised some eyebrows. Can you imagine if the board comes up and Malumbi's taken off after 60 minutes? Mm-hmm. That would have been the easy thing to go to if things had gone wrong and say, you know, what was he doing? Mm-hmm. But it, it, like, eventually they did address that and Alan Brown was brought in to do that, but it was in the 75th minute, you know, and again, at that stage, I suppose, Scotland and Ireland pegged back. There was that series of corners which led to one of them led to that, that handball from Brown, which is just, again, one of those things that happened. And yeah, like that is just, I mean, it's, it's, slightly, it's slightly concerning that um, there was no response to that. And I think Gary Wood also would have made the point that Scotland were actually taking a lot more risks and they were there to be exploited and Ireland just couldn't, couldn't break out. And maybe it's one of those momentum things where you concede early in the second half and that's a bit deflating when you've worked so hard for that first half lead. And then well, without being conservative and without... 
um, sort of putting the backs behind the wall. It just becomes a small bit of what we have, we hold. I think another thing as well, like Josh Cullum, uh, Josh Cullum was on a yellow card as well too, which a silly yellow card for kicking the ball away and then shortly afterwards could nearly have got a second yellow for that late challenge. And he's someone in against Ukraine the last time around, I thought it was very good, probably his best game for Ireland. He was snapping around the place. I kind of wonder if he was on a little bit of a, uh, on that tight rope as well. And I just, I don't know, there was a slight bit more the midfield three were a little bit more inhibited in the second half, but I also think Scotland moved around them a lot more as well. And, and yeah. And did you get the sense of the game? So like a couple of things, I think everybody was struck by the fact that that back three, bar the Hendry header, were excellent. Nathan Collins further underlines his credentials. Uh, Obafemi, you know, did a lot of very good things. And there's definitely a semblance of a partnership with him and Parrot and an understanding yeah. and they can play in uh, partnership. It's good. On that midfield three points, so undoubtedly worked incredibly hard as we've been talking about there. This isn't necessarily a criticism, it's just I'm, I'm curious for your thoughts. Our, our our best moments in our attack tended to be back to front pretty quickly. And mm. I don't mean necessarily long balls, like I'm talking Darrow Chase, a lovely, you know, 20, 30 yard ball, even along the ground in the first half through the defence. Collins at those moments. If there was a, a thought I had in the second half, it was that we're going back to front very quickly. And at times that is creating chances and hurting Scotland, so it's hard to be too critical of it. But there were definitely periods in the second half when Scotland had control of the game. We almost did that a bit too readily. And you would love if that midfield three had almost said, we just won the ball back instead of feeding one into Obafemi. We might just try and take the sting out of this game a touch. Now, I don't know if that's experience or nous or maybe they were under strict instructions. No, get it forward. That's the way we hurt them. But uh, that was definitely a feeling watching the game that Scotland were on top and uh, when were the periods where Cullen, Malumbi and Knight yeah. kind of said we're just going to take the game off you for a couple of minutes here or even a minute just to take the sting out that didn't quite happen Yeah I, I suppose the thing there and I mean and this is not to be excuse making but this then to a degree this comes back to quality of player though in this in this department too like there's no doubt that like where Ireland lack depth at the moment probably is in those midfield positions, like the range of talents that they have. I think that's why the expectation is that for the games in November, the friendlies in November, the 21s don't have a game. You might see someone like Will Smallbone brought in. You might see even Connor Coventry brought in with the seniors. That, you know, particularly, I mean, I guess that that, that, that midfield, the, the two, Knight and Malumbi, probably more so picked for their off-the-ball work rate as opposed to their on the ball abilities although Malumbi is, is I think he's actually improved on the ball he had one or two tough moments in the first half and Knight is a very good player but he's a, he's someone who like makes breaks and latches on to attacks and you don't necessarily have um, like you know Callum McGregor sort of controls yes. things a small bit yeah. more you know, McTominay Manchester so this comes down to personnel a small bit you know I mean it might have been and again he's, he's an unpopular player with sections of the fan base but it would have been maybe well, what it's easy to talk about say Knight and Malumbi and Brown probably come in to try and do that something different will be bringing in Jeff Hendricks say who wouldn't be everyone's cup of tea at all but actually on a good day and there have been good days under Kenny yeah. a good passer you know and he has a, a bit of a presence and you would think with his experience you know he could have taken a sting out of it at times which is what you're sort of suggesting if you know what I mean like that it, it was a bit frantic the game in general and when the game was at its most frantic Ireland were happy enough and then the second half like Scotland just exerted that bit of control with their movement and I think that's why 
people are saying, well, why wouldn't you bring, uh, why wouldn't you bring Ogbené on for Paris? It's because Paris does have some of the attributes as a number 10, although a slight concern about Paris is he's a small bit, you know, what's his position? Like, where does he stand going forward in this Irish team, pardon the pun, is that Parrot is someone who is technically quite good and can drop deep and get involved. But maybe he was tired at that stage and he wasn't able to do that. But I think they weren't going to go with, say, two speedsters up front, if you know what I mean, because then they might have had two players out of the game at times. And I think the, the intention would be the Parrot would come in and maybe sit on their defensive midfielders but just clearly it wasn't as effective and as Kenny said himself it wasn't cohesive and they weren't able to play through the Scottish press like they did in the first half So I think in the main like in isolation you'd have to say that was a really good game two teams who were better than they were a couple of years ago playing better brand of football and Mm. Ireland acquitted themselves very well and could have absolutely come away with a draw and on a different day could have won as well Parrot scores that goal you're 2-1 up you can dig in then so you could hone in you can hone in a touch too much on the result I acknowledge it was good performance uh, where does that result though fit into the pattern because it was something you picked up in the Irish Independent you were making the point that 90 minutes in and of itself very good but it does fit into that pattern of taking the lead for instance against mm. good teams Serbia Portugal Scotland now take the lead away from home and just can't quite see it out yeah, my, my thought reading your piece initially was well that's a small sample size just these three games but then you were saying you know, there's a bit of this at Dundalk as well mm. and, and again it's a small-ish sample size but you mentioned Tel Aviv Zenit St. Petersburg uh, Rosenberg all these kind of 2-1 mm. close and, and good performances is what you'd say but one not, all, like not we, getting yeah, it done one, one all is our national scoreline is, is an entertaining 2-1 defeat better than a boring one all draw you know like this is a, I would say yes yeah, I don't know like that's the I know you had a bit of that chat I think with uh, with Dion and, and Keith Tracy and Shane Keegan but it's yesterday. funny Keith Tracy was so good yesterday because he said we would have had a better chance of winning that game on Saturday if we'd been horrible. Yeah, <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah. horrible with a certain emphasis. Yeah, I mean, Stephen Kenny's obviously won a lot of games too, right? But I guess it's this whole thing of, um, like, the, like what, like what do these valiant defeats mean, right? You have to all believe that they're on the road to something, and this is where I mean, I, I broadly agree with a lot of Gary Breen's points. I would think about the, the seven hundred twenty-three thing is that they may be the best players now, but they weren't necessarily all the best players when they were picked first by Ireland. If you know what I mean, I think certainly, you know, when the likes of say Malumbi. Uh, he springs to mind like was dropped into the team first he wouldn't have been playing very much at Brighton had loan spells he would have been behind Conor Harahan probably at that stage or Hendrick you know a few players now I think now yeah. you know they've caught up and probably overtaken them I agree with you but it's also not unreasonable to think they'll be better at 25 but anyway, yeah absolutely and I think what you want to believe yeah. is that some of these defeats like Portugal like Serbia like Portugal like I mean, I'm talking about substitutions. Remember Portugal, one of the best things about Portugal and Kenny got praise in the aftermath was when someone went off injured, Dara O'Shea, and he brought oh, on Mama a mobile Bedelli yeah. rather than necessarily relocating. For example. So that was brave. That was an example of a very good substitution. Yeah. Um, but the hope is that like this is the body of experience that it means that when you're in these pressure games next year, that if you take the lead, you don't seed it because how many times we talk about the first goal being the most important thing in international football games and now it's not that that (laughs) payoff is kicking in next year definitely is it because I I was kind of hoping that we'd be saying after Hamden Park well you see the experience of Serbia Portugal that's the so when is that kicking in that's the and that Joe like that's the valid concern like you know it's not like you know like that is the valid concern and I can understand that concern that until you do it 
people won't believe no, that, I, that I that's, that's, that's the thing. We'll come on to the, re- the fallout in part two of the chat here. Yeah. We'll go to an outbreak in a moment. But that would be Damien Delaney's concern. Like, what, where's the evidence that this is all kicking in next year at this yeah. very vital European qualification stage? Or will we just continue in this vein? Yeah, now I suppose like within, you know, Serbia one was certainly, listen, Serbia one was a bit ragged in the second half. Portugal, like, I guess what I'm saying is there's a pattern between all these games. Portugal, I suppose, it was a thing about defending crosses. If you remember James McLean come on in that game and he actually probably got done once on that side and again, you know, crosses into the box, you can, you would like to think, you know, you can efficiently manage that like like in a way you know you, it's this whole thing of you, you want to be beaten by moments of individual brilliance not goals that you think you can defend and I think like the concession of bad goals again in isolation Alan Brown thing shouldn't happen or you know one of those things but obviously they stack up if there's a count and the, you know against the smaller teams there's this recurring thing of shots from outside the box you know and against the better teams it's defending stuff in the area and you're thinking Okay, you know, can this be corrected? Over like the thing is, the Euros campaign in re- is go- probably going to come down to like three or four matches. You know, if Ireland end up in a group of five, it's going to be like we now know there'll be two higher ranked teams. You'll you know you'll play them. That's a total of four games. Ireland have played well pretty much in all of these games against True. these nations. Yeah, and yet the margins. The only one where they've probably squeezed something out of the fine margins was. Uh, the Ireland-Serbia game in Dublin where they probably should have been hammered and and did the opposite to what they've done where they've 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 taken they've taken they took more out of that game than they probably should have mm-hmm. but a lot of times it's like yeah that was great but and that's the it's like you know giving it a real go you know picking the right team I think in a lot of instances I think I think you find it hard to argue with how Ireland have started a lot of games great. but it's it's and that and that speaks to something in terms of preparation but maybe we're coming around full circle. It's it's the management of the games. And sometimes game management, that definitely might point to the experience thing as well. And you think they'll become more consistent over time. But obviously there comes a point where, maybe this brings you to Damien Delaney, where you, we, you get impatient for that lack of consistency developing. Well, I suppose it means you pitch up in March in hope rather than expectation, rather than, ah, oh, we've really seen the last six months they've got to grips with these tight games. We're now saying, well, we still haven't, but maybe it's just about to happen in March, that's the yeah. Do you know I think he needs concern. in March the draws on Sunday week. I think he just like he needs to end up in one of these six team groups as well because they've ended up in five team groups. The whole win ratio thing. You want like you know if they had a six team in the group and like have a, a, a nice the easiest start you can possibly have like Armenia to get, to get well, well see Armenia away are a different animal to okay. like get a couple of points on the board and just grow into the campaign because sure, sure, sure. as you've said like so many campaigns have been over early well that's been a problem you know yeah. and to actually to you know the order of games I think next year like get a bit of momentum going and have those harder games later on mm. um, but that's that's all that's all just luck I want to talk about some of the fallout uh, we'll take a quick break there's some texts and comments coming in which I'll get to as well in just a moment the football show is brought to you by Sky watch every live Premier League game this season on Sky Sports BT Sport and Premier Sports back with Dan McDonald in just one second Football on Off The Ball With Sky Get all the football you love in one place Across Sky Sports, BT Sport and Premier Sports Zebra going on his own He gets the try The Red 78 We're both monster people Nobody knows monster rugby better Carberry gets over the line Try from a Available every Wednesday Don't miss a moment of action Subscribe to the Rugby Channel on the OTB Sports app And turn on your notifications now 
football on off the ball with Sky watch Premier League Women's Super League EFL Scottish Premiership and much more live on Sky Sports now you're welcome back. I think Kenny uh, doing well in terms of style of play says MJPK with the standard of players available to him problem is we don't have the standard of players available to succeed consistently is a regular sentiment like I mean I just think like maybe you're, you're just conscious of being cast as like madly pro Kenny all the time I, mean, I think that is a valid point I think yeah. relative to like you know relative to standard of our players play like Ireland I did a piece on Saturday looking at the squads like, there's no way you could look at it and say that the Scottish squad isn't better than the Irish squad now in saying that I think some of the Irish squad in a couple of years time I think it might read on paper like a pretty decent squad they just haven't all necessarily got to the ceiling of of where they're going to go Patrick McHugh Alright Joe it's a good performance but Ireland right now are the definition of spinning their wheels we are going nowhere it's so frustrating all I've heard for the last two years quote unquote improvement is uh, another text in so they're the different sentiments mm-hmm. On the fallout, like it's quite striking. Uh, Liam Brady seems to have come fully on board with Stephen Kenny, and he was one of the most ardent critics, I thought, in the initial year, 18 months. And he was very positive about Saturday night. I was on um, Virgin Media with Paul McShane and Dame Delaney, and McShane had reservations. I would say Delaney had strong criticism of Kenny, and, mm. and his sense was paraphrasing him as yeah. best I can, but his sense was okay, we're two years in here, and Grant is given 16 debuts and you know development but like the, the national team is also about results and at what point are the results coming and has there been enough progress made and you know he said I don't go into next year with any confidence really there's no, like the, the vulnerabilities haven't been ironed out Brian Kerr similarly critical as well so I think in the main it's been positive um, what's very striking I kind of wanted to ask you is that I do um, you know I thought Jerry was talking to Nathan this morning at AM, and you know he just kind of made that point. Well, they were having the broad conversation: what do we want the Irish football team to be? And you would like it to represent Irish football, and I think that's why the style that Kenny is is really pushing versus like the style under Mick McCarthy in the most recent campaign, as opposed to when he got to the World Cup in 02 mm. and he had better players then, admittedly. But that that latest McCarthy campaign was grim. It was it was just awful football. I sat in that stadium so many times, and I just thought. We're not even trying to play football. I here. will say, like I, I, I think it's a small bit harsh, and it, it tailed off badly towards the end. I think that that, like, that is forgotten. Um, I know that they they had a bit of a go against Denmark in the last day, but like that double header against Georgia, Switzerland was was bad. But they played okay away to Denmark. But I take your general, general point. point. The tennis ball it's, night against Georgia wasn't. Yeah, it was such bad football. There was there, there yeah. were periods of play where I sat there and thought, what are they even trying to do? What have they been asked to? This is this is really bad. Whereas. Kenny has changed all that. So I think, again, back to that point of it's representing Irish football. That side of things, I can really get behind it. I really like it. I would just think increasingly and of late, Stephen Kenny's public dispatches are far too defensive and it's like a campaign trail. Almost every question is turned into an array of statistics which justify me keeping my job. And I, I don't know what you think about that. You're seeing it more often than I am. But I just feel like every interview, there's a real degree of self-justification about it. And I don't think he needs to do that anymore. I think he should leave that phase behind. Yeah, I do understand. I understand that argument. Yeah. Um, do you agree with it? Yeah, I think I think there's definitely... And I'm trying, like, I'm trying to think back to like covering Stephen Kenny previously. And I think probably, you know, 
to the North European campaign and stuff. Like the sort of bigger pinch picture answer stuff, you know, the stuff about like, you know, European and this team is connecting with people. He would have said that stuff then too when he wasn't in a, now maybe he was campaigning to be Ireland manager one day and some sort of weird, you know, and some weird thing. So I think some of that is just part of his, how he handled with, with press stuff. But in general, and I wouldn't like, overanalyze that too much. Like, you know, all this stuff, tends not to be important when you're winning but obviously if you're not winning then people will analyse what you're saying more and they will find aspects of it grating if they're hearing the same thing again and again like if Ireland are winning it's just like everything seems charming or something you know but um, yeah I I do wonder sometimes is it a product of being like we talk about this Kenny referendum but I suppose he's been living it and there has been an element of this campaign mode from the start like from the very start of his tenure like he started in September 2020 he started in April but his first match was in September 2020 and within seven or eight games he was facing the questions about are you the man for the job sure you know are you the man to start the next campaign or the next campaign and there's no, there's no doubt that at times he's probably used the the press conference to try and change the narrative away from maybe this thing and the here and now to look further down the line it's it's where the winning the Nations League comment came out of really it was that, that night against Qatar yeah. and and it's it's projecting something that's coming down the tracks which obviously leads people to become more frustrated when you get down the tracks and you haven't quite arrived at that place just yet now like yeah the stat stuff to me like in some ways I think it's harsh that that like with this manager and I'm not sure if it was the case with previous ones. I don't know if in the end of Martin O'Neill's third campaign we were talking about how many games you've won in your last 40 matches. It was very much in the here and now, but maybe that's because he had the credit in the bank from qualifying for a tournament. But this whole thing of like, you've only won X and this and like win ratios and stats and stuff, they tell a degree of the story. But I always would have said that when Kenny came in, that there was a sense that you did probably have to maybe accept that once in our life, once in Ireland's boom and bust cycle, you have to sort of write off a campaign a bit. Mm-hmm. This was the one thing that that we we were going to do that we've never done. You know, other nations like Wales go back a decade and stuff. It was dreadful. You have to accept that. So now, like I think, I think sometimes when people are sort of going on about his win record from games in twenty twenty and COVID times and and adding that into the round and the whole, I'm just like, I, I feel a little bit. Sympathy from there. Now, the short term is they've lost three of the last five Nations League games. Yeah. That's a very, like, that's a much more pressing statistic that I don't think he can really. And then he starts saying, We've lost three and 16. And it's like, No, but you've lost three of your last five games. Yes. I think that's more. I think go back to the Dragon in 2020 stuff and the playoff against Slovakia, Ancient which, history. which they probably should have won anyway. Like, that to me is a little bit like Ireland, as I said, Ireland were in a five team group. If they got a 16 group, they would have played maybe Andorra, probably beaten them twice. You'd have a little bit better percentages. But what's it mean? Nothing, right? right? Yeah. So, like, I think people will, uh, Stephen Kenny is probably responding to people who find stats that suit their argument by finding stats that suit his argument. He should be above and all that. He should, he should leave Stuff all that. Stuff the other night about, I mentioned this in the piece today, going on about the 44,000 people potentially going to the Armenia game tomorrow. I don't believe that there will be 44,000 people there at all. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it's a failure if there isn't. I think if there's like 30, 35,000 people there on a Tuesday night in a school week, it's not bad. But because he's, you know, he's he's got this information thinking maybe all season ticket holders will show up. He feels the need to say these 44,000 people coming is reflective of the support that exists out there for us. He doesn't need to do that. Like, he doesn't actually need and he makes, he just leaves himself open to a little jab it was, that doesn't happen. Yeah, it was just funny, like, even Vincent you know, Hogan was in in the paper review yesterday and, and he was saying like, he didn't think it was great that 
Kenny's point after the Scotland game was oh, the Alan Brown penalty wasn't a penalty. That was the yeah, the and, and it was a penalty. Oh, so like, yeah. I mean, it couldn't be more of a penalty, really. And like again, tomorrow, I don't think if they beat Armenia four nil, I don't think that should be spun as well. This this shows. It's no, I hope not. I hope you not. Yeah, just a, a degree of like let's deal with the here and now and and almost just be a bit more positive and seem like you're enjoying the job. And I'm the figurehead of Irish football as opposed to. Well, here's me defending myself again, even though it's an innocuous question about how the game was tonight. You know? Yeah, I look. And I've been a bit harsh on him, but uh, it's just it's it's a pattern. No, I, I I'd see what you're saying. I think I think you would have hoped that when he'd got the contract, that that would have been the line in the sand to sort yeah. of move on. But of course, they didn't then lose away to Armenia and home okay. to Ukraine, yeah, okay. which which removed so it, which probably put him back into fight mode then because going to the Scotland match, there was again stuff about, again, these shadowy board members who were apparently well and ready to change their mind. Yeah. Um, but, Again, and like a lot, and the Nations League games, I'm not going to go back on myself. They are very important. They do matter. Like being finishing third in the group for Ireland tomorrow, like it, it, it really does matter. Um, but I think from the start of the Kenny era, and there's obviously some people would take umbrage at the fact that he got that playoff against Slovakia. It was always going to be about is he going to qualify Ireland for the Euros in 2024? Sure. It's all been building up to next year, and my argument is he will live or die by next year. I'm pretty sure privately he would admit he will live or die by next year. Mm. Like, I don't think he's going to get, like, I don't know what would have to happen. You know, you'd have to sort of have a Thierry Henry style sort of bad luck, I think, you know, to not qualify for the Euros and yet retain the rumper support that he has now, you know. So um, in some ways you wonder, is the Kenny debate and the whole thing a, a victim of this quite unusual drag in the international calendar that now exists mm. with the, the World Cup? I mean, this year's World Cup being moved to winter, which has created this long void between like meaningful, meaningful campaign yeah. games, yeah, which yeah. just leaves a void for talk. Yes and no. You know? Yes and no. I think, yes, you make a fair point. No would be, well, you win in Yerevan and you're vying for top spot in this group. True. And everyone yeah. says, OK, we're, we're motoring I here and the football's that. great and there's a lot to love about the team. There's so much to love about what Kenny's doing and what the team are doing. It's just accept the results. And it's, yeah. you're, on, you're on the spectrum then of how important are the results to you. Like, was it even interesting yesterday? Dion Fanning was in here and Keith Tracy was in here. And Dion was saying, for me, the re- like it's, it's about so much more than the results. You know, and, and, and the team are entertaining mm. and I like going to see this team versus previous years. And for him, that counts uh, very significantly next to we lost to Armenia away in the midst of this Nations League campaign. Whereas Keats, maybe that, that hardened, grizzled well, professional. Well, the ex-pro who's been the there. The ex-pro is like, so, some of the ex-pros I sense are looking on at the uh, the rope that Kenny has been given in absolute bemusement. <laughs> I know, I know. They cannot get They're like, some of them are chatting to you at times like, What's going on here? What, when, when did all this become no, acceptable? I know, but I suppose, like, is there any... Like, a, a lot of the ex-pros now are probably... the, the I suppose the, the larger volume of them would have probably played for, like, Trapatoni's Ireland, right? I think the, the ones that are in their sort of... Uh, 40s. They're, com- they're coming into their yeah. late 30s, early 40s. And they would have lived through that time where the team performed reasonably well without maybe necessarily being loved I, mean, I don't know is that is that dramatic you know they would have been loved to a point but it was like there still would have been like jibes about going to somebody's games yeah. you know like there would have been sort of oh we have to go and watch this or whatever even when the team was competitive now like and, and I can completely understand if you felt at that time 
you were hard you know you were hard done by because yeah. you'd achieved certain things and then you come out and you see a team doing less and sort of getting away with more but then the flip side is that generation had a much better squad like think, they could talk about the, their the players in their dressing no, room sure. if, I think you know I, I think that generation as well uh, and it was probably more media talk than Stephen Kenny saying it but I think in advance of him taking the job I think they also had a degree of amusement with the sense that Ireland were going to play samba football from the 70s he said some stuff himself too to be fair Kenny that 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 definitely Irked definitely feel yeah. that I th- and I think there was a degree of hang on one, we played very, very good football on occasions, a lot of those former players would say. But also, two, you just wait until you see what it's like. And you're against very good teams and very good managers. Wait and you see what it's like but, out there. But this is, but see, my point in that is that I always, like, I always expected Kenny teams to end up being pragmatic. I sometimes thought that what he was saying and the philosophy of what he was saying didn't reflect what the reality was going to be. Like, this is my point. You hear people speaking now as though, did he imagine that, that Stephen Kenny, when he was with Dundalk in 2016, that if they didn't watch the games, that they were passing the ball around the whole time? No, they did a lot of stuff that the Irish team are doing now. He's done it before. Mm. Like, he's not, he's, you know what I mean? Like, it's not, I, I think, as I said, I think sometimes that's where you end up with these very simplistic definitions of what he stands for yeah. based on a half assumption of what his theory is, mm. you know? Few texts coming in. Uh, Laser Snake makes the point. <laughs> <laughs> how's, how's a message from Laser Snake gonna go? <laughs> I'm guessing that's more from the online sphere than a text into five three one zero six. Laser Snake says, "Why is it so hard to understand the opinion that someone other than Kenny would do a better job? The options are not Kenny or Hoofball." Very fair. Oh, point. I, I I know what you're saying, that, and I don't think, like I think there's probably. I mean, you think about it, right? There's very few Irish managers working in the UK at the moment as well, too. We had a little bit of a void there for a period of time of of coaches and stuff. I think there's probably, like, you know, why did Ireland for a period of time, why were they turning to sort of managers sort of at the latter end of their career? Whereas I feel like in the next five to ten years, there probably is a generation of Irish coaches coming through. Yeah. you know, in various places who who I think we might have more of a production line of prospective managers without needing to... I don't think we're going to have to go back to that day of, like, let's throw a big check to a big name to give us a sprinkle of sort of stardust oh, to good, sell tickets. We don't have a big check either. No. So uh, somebody says, look at the players we have. They're lower-level championship standards, so we're getting lower-level championship results. Jerry O'Malley says, huge concern that the next campaign will follow the last three campaigns. Terrible results against Luxembourg, Armenia, Azerbaijan, Bulgaria, always fighting to not finish last. Kenny needs to find that winning mentality fast, is a uh, point Jerry makes. I mean, but I that's where tomorrow is important. I agree with that. To prove, like, see, tomorrow is completely different to Saturday. This is, there's two different types of tests that probably Ireland need to show they can negotiate. One is the tight margin away game where they're competitive and how do you see out the promise of what you've done. Hampton Park and, game. And, yeah, and the second one is... Luxembourg. Just, like, really stamping on the neck of someone at home. It did it against Qatar. That was the one where I thought... And, again, it's this roller coaster with Kenny of ups and downs. The Qatar game was one. I remember tweeting that night, something really good is yeah, happening. I, I, I tweeted, that. something really good is happening with this team because I'd never seen an Irish team stand on the neck of a lesser team like that. And then... It was a friendly. Yes. But even so, there was a panache there and a style there and, and a fluidity there that we don't always have, even in friendlies against Leicester. No, I, I, I probably thought the same. That was the night I think he came out and said the Nations League proclamation. We were uh, all a bit high that Yeah, night. everyone got caught up in it. But, like, Armenia will probably operate in a low block tomorrow. And I think, like... Like, 
Steve Clark spoke at the weekend, even Martin O'Neill was speaking about a Premier Sports, but Ireland suddenly have pace and attack, like they're a counter-attacking team, which is a slight different change in language to how teams would have spoken, you know, yeah, yeah. people would have spoken about Ireland. But actually, a lot of those attributes aren't what you necessarily need against Armenia at home. And you have to find different ways to win in different scenarios. That's the nature of a of a qualifying campaign. Like Stephen Kenny would argue that Ireland needed to change their style of play to have a chance going away against these teams. Yeah. But what he hasn't got right is the ability to, to, to mop up the points at home to give you a platform to have a chance in a group. Tell me this. So I mentioned some of the comments from Kerr and Delaney and McShane and Liam Brady. You were watching Martin O'Neill in Premier Sports? I did. I recorded it. So I only watched it last night. I got the impression, I haven't seen it. I got the impression from your Twitter feed that he was incredibly chippy. Well, no, it was just one tweet. Well, I mean, it, like they've always been, uh, like, I think Martin O'Neill, and listen, everyone who leaves a job, like probably in any walk of life, you know, like if they've ever been replaced, you know, might sort of carry some sort of torch so over. what did he say? But and I think generally he was quite complimentary okay, of the what, Irish performance. What did he say? But where was... he was snippy was around well, Matt Doherty's performance, which isn't surprising because Matt Doherty <laughs> gave that radio interview after he left where he said the training was terrible. Roy Keane did nothing. We didn't even know what our plan was half the time. So I think Roy Keane had his bite back at Matt Doherty last year and O'Neill waited for his moment. And there was a, I mean, I, I did post up a clip um, probably illegally of uh, you know they're having a chat about uh, the defending and Alan Hutton and I think Richard Dunn are like well he hasn't been playing games at club level you know what could you expect and O'Neill just waited he could in no that's what happens when you can't defend which was uh, and then later in the clip um, later in the, the coverage it shows Doherty making a goal line clearance and I think Michael Stewart one of the under pundits says did he defend well there, Martin? Who was it was a little bit unhappy. But then they, they showed the footage of the Ireland goal. So while he was quite complimentary generally, um, it showed the the John Egan goal and O'Neill said something along the lines of, Yeah, they scored a goal from a set piece. That was frowned upon when I was in charge, but now it seems to be okay, okay. funnily enough. Okay. He spoke about Kenny's selective memory. So there was a couple of little jabs in there. Um but I think overall, again, like in isolation, I don't think anyone was gonna I don't think it was the night to sort of to say this is the you know this team is a rabble. I mean, I think maybe that's the broader thing with it as well. Like I've covered in like the, the end of days of various regimes where you then have this and you look at a game and you're like those players are mentally gone. You know this team is gone. They've lost faith in the manager or the and you can't say that. Like you can't say that watching these games. No. Now it doesn't mean he's the answer and he's going to succeed. But it's different. It's not that safe of it's glaringly, you know, staring totally you in agree. the face. They're, they're very and much that's the together. dilemma. That's what actually probably creates there, this debate where no one maybe is wrong. There's you no, know? And there's no dilemma. Everybody, everybody is in agreement. He gets the Euros campaign. I think, I listen, I think that, well, no, I don't think everyone's in agreement, Joe. I'm I pretty sure. So. Uh, well, I'm sure you'd find plenty of people who'd say no. But I think that's what's going to happen. So, like. No, I would have thought most now would nuanced enough to see the progress and say well he deserves a crack at the if Euros I had lost I mean I don't I, if I had lost against Armenia tomorrow um, you'd have lost I, I suppose results will always change the debate like you'd have people coming on saying oh yeah no I don't think that would actually change it. I still think you'd get the campaign I anyway on, but, um, on Armenia by the way so I know you said a couple of their better players are back they were beaten 5-0 by Ukraine on Saturday and their uh, coach Joaquin Caparo uh, was in a tussle against local media after yeah. the game I was reading Aidan Fitzmaurice was reporting on it so he's uh, Spanish he's been there since 2020 66 years of age uh, they've conceded 14 and scored 1 in uh, the last couple of games so on Saturday post-match uh, local <laughs> ju- <laughs> local journalists refused to ask any questions of Caparos 
and said, you just have to resign right now, right here on the spot. Yeah. Not behind closed doors, like resign. We're not asking questions. And he responded by saying, my contract runs out at the end of November and I'm not leaving before then. And so the media <laughs> walked out. Now, if we don't beat this lot in Dublin. <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, you think you've had it hard, right? I'm pretty sure Stephen Kenny would, you know, would, would, would have been annoyed by certain stuff. But uh, I, I'm not sure if I've ever been in a scenario where someone has refused to leave a press will conference. You, will you have the guts to demand he resign on the spot <laughs> if, but then, if we like, don't qualify? But, but if, if you don't do this, I'm not even going to ask you about that penalty decision. I'm going to ask nothing. Like, we're just literally, we're having no questions. There was, there was no talking here. So they're, look, they're arriving at a low ebb for sure. Can we mention the under-21s in the 90 seconds we have left? I mean, we really should. Tel Aviv, 6.15 kickoff tomorrow. One all draw in the first leg. Jim Crawford said he was definitely disappointed, felt we were the better team. Mm. There was an Evan Ferguson equaliser. His uh, injury concern has been allayed, so he will be okay to play. By all accounts, Aaron Connolly, uh, very, very good in that game. So they go to Tel Aviv. One yeah, um, like well, hopefully there'll be loads of time to talk with twenty ones if they can get the job done, you know, and it really will open doors for them. Uh, yeah, I watched most of it. I was in Glasgow, but I was able to see sort of most of the game. I thought they played quite well. There's a slight concern. I think it's thirty degree heat over there. Um, Israel. I mean, it's maybe it's just that's reverting to like dreadful cliche and stereotype. But you just imagine at home, you know, they'll be a little bit more comfortable that they've got some of their first team players involved um, because they don't have anything really riding on their last Nations League game um, so it will be difficult um, but I think you know Crawford's team they've gone away to Sweden before rode their luck a bit but actually have shown an ability to sort of defend situations I'm just worried they're missing one or two key players who've been big players for them across the camp like they were, able, they were throwing in a couple of guys for debuts on Friday at that level which for a big playoff game isn't necessarily ideal. They've had a lot of transition across the campaign and they've done an amazing managerial job as a consequence. Um, it's the nature of underage Yeah, football. like even, it seems even more pronounced um, in this instance. Um, and Con- Conley was very much up yeah. and happy to be back in that yeah. fold. Yeah, he's, he's living up to his words. I mean, it's early days, but he's like, it's funny, you know, like you, you still drop someone who's had a bad time at senior level into 21's level and you think, no, he still played at a higher level than a lot yeah. of these. Some of the movements, the position he took up, he's unlucky not to score. Um, and he gives you a threat away from home if you are. I think they're going to have to soak up a fair bit of pressure in that game. Um, but I give them a I give them a fighting chance. I, I sort of have the niggling feeling they, should, they needed to bring a lead there to do it, but I hope to be wrong on that. And I hope, I hope that... Uh, yeah, I hope that it's, it kicks tomorrow evening off on a major high. Thank you very much for coming in. I will see you tomorrow at the Viva Stadium. See Sam McDonnell of the Irish Independent. Our football show coverage brought to you by Sky. Watch every live Premier League game this season on Sky Sports, BT Sport and Premier Sports. Football on Off The Ball. With Sky. Get all the football you love in one place across Sky Sports, BT Sport and Premier Sports.